Support for Oyster World Radio comes from you, our listeners. If you'd like to support the show, visit the link in the show description or visit patreon.com forward slash oysterworldradio. Your support is like rocket fuel as I take on the challenges of a podcaster on the road. So support the show. More support means meeting more people that you would normally never meet. Become a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash oysterworldradio and support the show today. Welcome to Oyster World. Oyster World. Radio. Hello, Oysters, and welcome to another episode of Oyster World Radio, the podcast where we broaden our perspectives by listening to the stories of people from all over the globe. It's easy to get trapped in the day-to-day routines of our own personal bubbles, but there are billions of ways to live the one life you got, and it's my job to find those ways and bring them to you. I'm Nathan Lieberman, and this episode, whoa, it just gives me the chills just thinking about it. This is a throwback episode to the trip I took to Seattle, Washington that I will never forget. Lost in the old town of Seattle, there is a place called the Seattle Underground, a forgotten part of the city buried underneath the streets. And that is where I met Thad Kreischer, a guide on paranormal tours. Let's just say he has some stories that'll make you shiver. No matter what you believe, no matter what you've experienced, let's start the new year with something a little thought-provoking. And here is my conversation with Thad Kreischer. Thad Kreischer, welcome to Oyster World Radio. We are so glad to have you on the show. This is this is so exciting for me because you and me met in a very strange place in the underground of Seattle, Washington. So this is a bit of a throwback than what I was usually doing. I usually will have some international guests, but this is an interview that I could not pass up. So Thad, welcome to Oyster World Radio and say, say hi to everyone that's listening out there. Uh, thanks, Nathan. It's it's great to be here. Thank you for having me on. So we we met and I love paranormal tours, mainly because, you know, I'm a scientist. I grew up in science all my life. And for some reason that this little unknown area of the world was always really curious to me. And I had to go on one of your tours and I got something that I completely didn't expect and you were my tour guide and you were my tour yes. guide so you come <laughs> down you go down in that haunted ter- just, it's so i don't i don't even know how to describe it but you go down there every single day now <laughs> i i go down there pretty frequently in, in particular uh I, well in the off season we only do that tour on the weekends but in, in during the summertime we do do it every night so i, I do go down quite frequently yes I, I spend a lot of time in those tunnels and man i once again i i grew up learning physics all that stuff. I went down there one time and it kind of threw a lot of stuff out the window that we know nothing, but that is for another time. <laughs> I'm going to keep the, keep you guys in suspense for a little bit longer as we get to know Thad a little bit more. So you grew up in San Jose, California, right? Uh, yes. Lived there until I was 12 years old. So you lived there until you were 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And after that, you started to move around the, 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 what I call the West coast or the Western half of the United States. And you eventually ended up in Portland. So we had a little pre-chat before this, and you said that this was a little wild. So let's get right into it. So you were studying in Portland for a journalism major, but most of us, we had a lot of fun in college. So what what was a a typical Friday night with your friends out in Portland? 
Uh, well, uh, when when I was in journalism college, the uh, actually the only class that I ever attended was the uh, school newspaper class because the editor there was a very close friend of mine, and eventually I just dropped out of the college entirely and moved uh, into the city of Portland, like into the heart of the city. And I was a uh, full-time punk rock kid. Uh, to, to, to let, let's just say that was my job for about four years that I spent in Portland. Uh, and there really was no Friday night. Every night was just a wild adventure of, uh, you know, punk rock madness and uh, drugs and roaming and going to clubs and shows and so on and so forth. And just basically living the punk rock lifestyle. I, uh, like all punk rock kids, I lived on the street during the summertime. And uh, during the, the cold season, uh, you know, like a half dozen of my friends would, would all pitch in our money together and we'd get like a studio apartment. And basically it's just a crash pad for punk rock kids. So uh, <laughs> that really was my, my life uh, in Portland. And I have to say that Portland was one of the most uh, uh, fun, fantastic places to spend your youth. That was from the age of 17 until right before I turned 21 is, is when that was going. Yeah, so four years you just had seems like the time of your life when you were partying around fun when you said nothing but wild adventures you literally you literally just didn't have a home during the summer you were just out all the time sleep sleep uh sleep somewhere that you can and is that the punk like rock life i'm not really familiar (laughs) with it that was the punk rock lifestyle of the 80s uh i was i was a teenager in the mid to late 80s and that was very much the punk rock lifestyle of that time kind of just kind of like you know in the 60s the hippies lived in their vans and drove around and you know what have you punk rock kids would always live on the street in the summertime because you don't have to pay rent and it's warm and it's just kind of conducive to the lifestyle i was not out there alone i mean i i was a member of a of a uh, kind of tight-knit group of about 20 individuals other punk rock kids uh, I suppose in today's parlance, we would we would have been called a gang uh, by today's standards, but gang culture didn't really exist in the same way then as it does now. So kind of like a rock thug gang, I guess you could say. Uh, I, and uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail about about our methods of supporting ourselves, but uh, I mean, suffice to say, we didn't go hungry and we didn't lack for cash. Totally fair. Totally fair. <laughs> so I mean, it, there's something kind of kind of nice about that. I know for me, I did the typical, you know, you go to school and you you get the grades to go and get a job. But you know, there there was always this little little idea in my head, like you know, what if I just gave it all up and and left and, and you know had fun for a while or did something outside the norm. And you did do something outside the norm, and it seems like you turned out okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The long run, the long run. I mean, certainly there are there are problems that you know from living that life if you do it for too long i you know it's not something you want to do forever fair enough but when you're a 17 year old kid you're at you're absolutely correct it is a wild freaking adventure that never stops okay so what what is one of your favorite nights what was one of your favorite parties that you threw that you went to that really can sum up this time of life my favorite night uh, was a night that me and uh, my my friend Rod Walker, who is uh, now deceased, decided that we were going to take as much LSD as we could, <laughs> and <laughs> we, were like to, a, we were going to. That sounds like a young challenge. That sounds like an eighteen-year-old <laughs> challenge, right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. We were eighteen or nineteen at this point, and it was summer, so we're you know we're on the streets. We have absolutely no responsibilities, and we are very hooked into the street scene. So you can get whatever you want for free when you're hooked into the street scene. And uh, we we did end up doing 
age at well over 20 hits each and just wandering the streets all night and running across all of these other interesting characters and kids that we knew and they would give us more drugs uh, so it wasn't just lsd and we ended up doing some uh, methamphetamine uh, smoking a bunch of marijuana drinking you know 40 ounces of beer and just talking to all of our friends and hanging out until dawn and uh, uh when we Lord, uh, <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, and it was uh, it was just it was just a really good time that night. It was just a great vibe. I I ran across almost every single friend that I had that night. They were all out partying as well. Uh, you know, party scene in in the on uh, for punks in Portland was very much just kind of a, a a mobile roaming type thing. Sometimes you would end up at an apartment where there'd be a bunch of kids partying. Sometimes you're just out in the city and all your friends are out there too. Uh, Portland back then, I don't know, don't know what it's like today, but it was a, a much smaller city. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to have that kind of community out there just literally on the streets. Right, right. And um, honestly, I'm sure that to some people, that sounds like the time of their life. That's what we all really want in the end, just to have fun, see all your friends, go out and have a good time. And I mean, how are you, honestly, how are you still alive, though? That was a lot of shit. I, uh, you know, I continued that lifestyle, uh, well into my twenties as far as, as far as drugs and alcohol and consumption. And, uh, I have often asked myself that question, having left that life behind because, uh, quite a few of my friends are not alive. As, as I mentioned, Rod, who I mentioned earlier is dead. And, uh, and so not everyone did make it out of that alive. That's why I said, you know, it's not the kind of lifestyle you want to do forever because it does end in a bad place for a lot of people. A lot of my friends went to prison. A lot of them ended up as junkies, eating out of garbage cans, living on the streets. You know, at a certain point, you got to walk away from that, man. You're, that's, that's where you end up. Right. <laughs> right. It kind of and I, and I did walk away. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the longer you do it, the more intense it gets and the sicker it gets. It stops being fun and it starts to become a sickness. And so when that happens, you, you're either going to face that end or you're going to walk away. So what was, what was that end for you? Was it when you moved to Seattle or how did you, when did you know it was time to switch? Because a lot of people do get stuck in that. A lot of people do get stuck in the lifestyle and it's all they know, so they can't really switch. So how did you get out of it? I, I remember that day very, very clearly, actually. Uh, and I was either 26 or 27 years old. I had an apartment in downtown Seattle, the one that we spoke about earlier where I saw my first ghost. Mm -hmm. And I had uh, woken up from a night of partying. I was sitting on my bed, and uh, I a lot of really dark stuff was going on in my life at that time. And I remember just counting on my hands, how many people I had started this journey with and how many of them were dead in prison or living on the streets, eating out of garbage cans at the end of that list of about 20 people, there were only three left. And one of them was me. And at that point I said, you know, I don't like my odds that, and that was it. I just cut it all off. I stopped doing drugs. I stopped drinking for a long time. I went out, I got a job and I just changed my life. It, it was really as simple as that. It, it wasn't easy to do. I, I will say that, but that, you know, that's just the way it was. I knew I was going to, it, it was going to be me or one of these other two guys next. And, you know, yeah, no. that was inevitable. <laughs> yes. I mean, there yes. was, was 17 down and three to go. Your turn, yeah. the, the, your turn is coming oh, yeah. up. Your number is about to be called. So I guess you, yeah, that is when, when did you move to Seattle? Was that when you moved to Seattle or is that, after oh no no I, oh that's right you said that, you are yeah. in your apartment and this is where you saw your first ghost 
Yeah, I moved to Seattle three uh, uh, two weeks before my 21st birthday, and I moved to Seattle because things in Portland were getting too intense and too crazy. But the, the thing is, is that within a year of moving to Seattle, at least 75% of my friends from Portland moved up here as well. So that life kind of followed me, and, uh, you know, the good times did continue to roll for a number of years. Gotcha. But then, so you, you break out of it. The next phase is a little bit, it, it, you were hopping between jobs, or you, you decided to get a job, and... Um, we're coming out of this lifestyle, but that was also the time when, uh, when we were talking before that a lot of paranormal experiences were starting to happen to you as well. You said that you saw your first ghost in your first apartment in Seattle. So the paranormal has also been a very big part of your life as well. So what was this ghost in, uh, did you even believe in ghosts before you saw the one in your apartment or was that a, was that when you started to change and start to believe a little bit? Did you all well, paranormal? What, what did that, how did that develop? I, I was pretty open-minded spiritually, uh, you, you could say. And, and part of that had to do with, with my uh, experiences with hallucinogens. You know, a lot of people say that that's kind of like their first spiritual experience or kind of clues them into the fact that there might be more to reality than what we see. And that was certainly the case with me. I don't know what my feelings on ghosts actual were at that time, though. I, I don't think that really entered into my my you know thinking as as part of spirituality. But uh, uh, that ghost uh, was in a building in Seattle at the end of East Lake, uh, which is in the downtown area, and I uh, was again sitting on. Uh, I used to be a musician, and I was sitting at my keyboard programming some music, and uh, this man dressed in clothing that would be i would place it somewhere around 1890s uh, uh looked everything looked homemade uh, he was wearing a black jacket black pants clunky black shoes his pants were uh too short for his legs he had uh, a haircut like from the 1890s he was not wearing a hat he had one of those string ties as well he walked by my bedroom door and the interesting thing is we had hardwood floors in there, and he's wearing these clunky shoes, but he did not make any noise whatsoever, although he was clearly walking, and he was completely solid. He did not look, uh, you know, uh, translucent or, or misty or anything like that. Wow. So there's only two places to go from my bedroom. Well, there's three. There's into my roommate's room, into the bathroom, or out the door. If he goes out, it opens any door, I'm going to hear it again. It's an old apartment. Everything's, you know, creaky and what have you. So I'm just like, what the fuck was that? I ran out of my room. It's a very short distance to the front door from there or to the bathroom or to my roommate's room. I thought for a minute my roommate was female. I thought maybe she had brought a guy home, but she had right. never, ever done that before. Right. There's no one there. All the doors are closed. He's just gone. So that, that was the first time I saw a ghost. Wait, so what did you do? This is your home. You just saw someone there. You can't find him. What did you do? Did you... What was your conclusion? What was going through your mind? Oh, I, I knew it was a ghost at that point. You just, you just knew. You just, everything started oh, yeah. to make sense. Yeah. Well, well, there's, <laughs> there's, there's only, like I said, there's only so many possibilities there. I did go into my roommate's room and like opened the door real quick. She wasn't even home. All right, she's not home. I'm <laughs> all the doors are still closed, and I did not hear any of them open. And and really, there's just no possible way in or out of that apartment that I am not going to hear someone, even if they're trying to be stealthy. And he did not have enough time to be stealthy. I mean, I hauled ass out of that room. Right. As soon as you saw him, you, uh, given, went, you were yeah. after him. Like, who is this? Who is given, 
given his his manner of dress and the fact that I could not hear him while he walked on our on our old beat up you know very creaky and, and noisy hardwood floors and what happened after I checked in he was not in my roommate's room that's that's when I knew I was like holy shit I just saw a ghost oh man so this <laughs> so this was like oh crap so maybe they do exist I don't I don't know or whatever whatever you want to believe that they are who knows what what that actually is right but yeah and yeah, well well that that is what converted me into a very firm believer in ghosts because I I will tell you this Nathan I know a lot of people that don't believe in ghosts and they have no reason to there is no logical reason to believe in them but when you see it with your own eyes. You have to believe that they're real, or you have to believe that you're insane. Yeah, there's you're, no you're, way or the, there's, there's no in between. You you see something that clearly you have now seen it with your own eyes, and you have the evidence, and so you either change your thinking or you deny it, or you start seeing a psychiatrist. You know, so yeah, exactly <laughs> whatever route goes goes the best for you, I guess. <laughs> yeah. and, and I was already open-minded spiritually, so it was not that big a leap for me to, you know, believe that a ghost could exist. For other people, I could see why they might have some problems there. Yeah. So what what was going on in your in your life at this point too? So was this when you started bartending as well, or um... uh, at at that point, uh, this would be I was probably about twenty three or twenty four at that point. And uh, you could say that during that period of my life, uh, this was the inception of the uh, rave scene. And you could you could say that I was kind of a professional club kid. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Were, were you working at the clubs <laughs> or were you? You could, you could say that, although I wasn't working for the club. Gotcha. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I understand. And, but but um, as time progressed, you, you also... I guess we'll just stick to the paranormal stuff because this is what really freaking fascinates me, especially after your tour is it had a really, really large impact on me. But you also had some other paranormal experiences after this one as well. And mm-hmm. yeah, was that because you said that you really, you know, you, you do, you have a choice. You have a choice to accept that you're insane or accept that there's something out there that you didn't account for. And what, was this, does this confirm it or was, is this like, oh yeah, were you pretty nonchalant? Like, oh yeah, it's a ghost. Or were you kind of doubtful and then as you continue to have more experiences, it'd be more confirmation? Um, no, no, I wasn't freaked out by the fact that I saw a ghost uh, at all. Because as I said, I was open-minded spiritually. I did have kind of broad spiritual beliefs. Uh, it, it was just, it was just a thing that happened and I was like, okay, yeah, it is. It kind of freaked me out a little bit at first, kind of shook me, but I'm like, yeah, well, you know, it was a ghost. So, so what? It was a ghost, right? Ghost exists. Okay. <laughs> okay. So your mind was already open to this idea, of course. So you weren't freaked out. You're just okay. Not, not, not traumatized by it, certainly. I, I mean, I wasn't terrified that it was going to haunt me or, you know, that it's some, you know, dark force or anything like that. It's, it's, you know, it was clearly not that. So. Gotcha. And that led you to, well, eventually, so you had this open mind already, and then you stumbled yes. across, uh, with, you got out of the, like we talked about before, you got out of the, the punk rock life and uh, decided to get jobs or step away from that. And after a long road, you ended up at the underground paranormal tours in Seattle, which is yes, where you were today. Yes. So how did you exactly... 
get that job, was it because you were open to the idea of ghosts? Was it because you were more curious? Was it because you just needed some money and it was a good place to get a job? What led you to the underground tour scene? Uh, the underground tours is the, it was just the first job that I applied for when I got back from Europe. I needed a job because I had spent all my money in Europe. Gotcha. And, uh, uh, they were the first place I applied. They hired me. I was not initially hired as a tour guide. Uh, you can only audition to be a tour guide once per year there. But when I found out what the tour guide life was all about, uh, basically you can make as much as you would working a full-time job, working a very part-time job as, as a tour guide at underground tours. And that for someone who's, who has, you know, artistic uh, pursuits as well that they do and that are important to them, that is very valuable. So I auditioned and I was hired as a tour guide and, uh, uh initially doing just the daytime tour, uh, which is not a ghost tour. And I took on the paranormal tour, uh, because, you know, oftentimes other guides don't want to do that, and it's also guaranteed income. But uh, as, as you and I discussed earlier, from the beginning, from the first time I gave that tour, I already knew the underground was haunted before that. I, I have seen ghosts at under, in the underground before I became a tour guide while I was working there. Uh, it, I just fell in love with that tour. It is just, you know, so much fun. You've been down there. You know, something happens every time we go down, and it is just a new adventure every single time. So that's how I got uh, into doing the paranormal, and now I, I am very interested in the ghosts of the underground yeah. and the hauntings that go down there. I mean, I will say for everyone listening out there that are not believers, if you're in Seattle, go to the underground tour. Before, well, once again... The, just to give you guys a little plug, I love this tour. I've been on many underground or many paranormal tours, and you guys give us our own equipment. You let us wander and do our own investigations. That was something that was completely unique. And for me, it, well, it had a major impact because I had the most, uh, let's, let's just say, vivid experience that I've ever had in my entire life. And it was so nice to have you guys down there with me. But it's... Um, I guess it's it's really hard. It, it's it's crazy for me because well, my experience, you know, coming from a science background, it shook me a little bit. It's like, well, okay, maybe we don't understand. But you go down there every single day, and I was wondering if it was hard or not for you guys to go down there every single day. But it was more of a curiosity that was instilled in you. Do you think that's right? That is the case for me, uh, definitely. We have had guides in the past who did not believe in ghosts, who took it on simply as a source of income. Something happened while they were down there, and literally the next day they will not do that tour anymore because they were so terrified by it. Uh, for myself, you know, because I already know that that stuff exists, uh, you know, that, that experience in my apartment was not the only time I'd, I had seen a ghost. And even before I became a guide, I saw ghosts in the underground. I already knew, kind of knew what I was getting into. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, for me... Uh, I was a little worried at first. I was kind of wondering, you know, how is this going to work out? Am I walking into a dangerous situation? But uh, it, it turned out that that, uh, by and large, is, is just not the case. And it, it's for me, it's just fun. It's curiosity, fascination. And it is one of the most unusual jobs that anyone can have. Right. So I guess for everyone, well, for me, too, in, in listening, it's you think a paranormal guide as a career. That's not exactly the way that we're taught that life is supposed to go. You're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to go to college, supposed to get good grades, supposed to get a good job, supposed to make a lot of money and work for 40 years, retire, that whole gig. And this is completely different from the life plan that most of us are, are set upon. But what it, it, it is. What, and what do, what do you think? What do you think reflecting? Are you very, 
what what does this job mean to you and would you trade it for anything else you know uh, uh nathan i i literally very much just stumbled upon this you know like i said underground tours was the first resume i sent out it was they were the first place that hired me but i now that I am a tour guide, now that I do do the paranormal tour, I absolutely love my job. I love the place that I work I'm, because I have so much fun at my job and, and what I'm doing is so interesting to me. I, you know, it really enhances my life in so many ways. I'm just very, very happy with the life that I have because of this. Yeah, exactly. So you stumbled upon it. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then also you had the idea to, to stick around for it as well. I know a lot of people, including myself, before I started traveling – I was, you kind of get lost, you kind of get lost in direction. If you follow the plan, sometimes the plan doesn't work for people. Sometimes the plan works great for people, but it's nice to hear that, you know, you, you took an alternate route and you're still happy. You don't have to be a lawyer to be happy. You don't have to make a million dollars a year to be happy. It seems like you go out every single day and well, especially since the job gives you a lot of benefits time-wise that you go down there in the tours every day and you get to explore something that you're really curious about and you find, you found it in a very unlikely place. I think that's really refreshing. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm certainly very happy about it. It took long enough. Uh, I, you know, I agree that the plan does not work for everyone. It was, and I knew for a very long time that it was never going to work for me. So my life has just been, you know, a, a continual quest for finding a way to live my life in a way that does work for me. And this is certainly, you know, something that does. Besides the one moment that we talked about earlier where you decided to step away from the punk rock lifestyle, was there ever some moments of doubt or was there a couple moments where, you know, I'm still trying to find my way. This is a great area. I don't really know what I want to do. And how did you get past that? How did you move past that gray area and did you was it just a sheer you know just your determination was it just a faith that you know as long as i keep trying and keep moving i'll find something how did you keep moving forward and get through that gray hazy area of not exactly knowing what you wanted to do well uh after i left the uh, the more intense lifestyle of of uh, punk and drugs and you know clubs and things like that uh, I, I would have to say that by and large, I was just very unhappy in life for a long period of time. Uh, when I was, I became a bartender at a certain point and I, and while I was a bartender, I was happy. I enjoyed bartending. It's also kind of, you know, that kind of lifestyle that's a little bit more alternative and you're, you're not, you know, kind of being pushed into a mold type situation. Uh, and the reason I left bartending was just because I got too old to do it. It's, it is a very physically intensive job. If you work at a, uh, a very busy bar and you know you're going to be doing 10 hour shifts at least on a very regular basis and at a certain point I just had to leave that uh, I got a, another job uh, which paid really well but uh, uh, was very unpleasant and which I absolutely despised and I yeah. saved up a bunch of money because I did make good money there and uh, that is when I, I took my journey to Europe and uh, I was there for six months. And when I came back, I, I, you know, again, just kind of coasted for six months on the savings I had. And that brought me to underground tours at that point. Yeah. So it was almost just you, you kept moving. You, <clears throat> you realized that something wasn't working for you and then moved on, but had the courage to move on because a lot of people get stuck. And that's, I think, a lesson that all of us can learn from your journey is if something's not working for you, it's OK to 
pack up and move and try something new. Especially if it's something, you know, if what you're doing in life is making you miserable, you have to get rid of it. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, you must get rid of it and find something that is better. And there's, you know, there are a lot of ways to do that in, in our modern society. We have a lot more options today than, say, I did as a kid in the 80s with technology and stuff. There are a lot of different ways to do things. Yeah, and there's so many different opportunities, whether it's... When did you go to Europe? How old were you when you went to Europe? I went to Europe when uh, in 2015, and I was 46 when I went to Europe. Yeah, so most people think that traveling is for the young or for the 23 to 25 to maybe 27-year-olds. And you're a great example of, you know, even it doesn't matter how old you are. You can get up and go. If something's not working for you, you can leave. Well, there's something really refreshing about that. As far as the whole traveling thing goes, man, I, I you know, uh, age bracketing is is really, it's a complete illusion. You you have to be who you are, right? And in my opinion, for me, I will never stop adventuring. You know, I, when I'm in the off-season at underground tours, I intend to do more traveling. I mean, Japan is the next destination that I want to go to, and there are a lot of different places I want to go to, and I do, you know, intend to continue adventuring. I intend to continue doing the paranormal tours and investigating the, the ghost phenomena and, and pursuing my own uh, artistic projects as well. I just, you know, you're not here for very long. You have to live now. Live. I love it. That's an amazing, that's an amazing, amazing message. And I'm so glad that you're taking life and making the most of it. You're literally making the most of every second, it seems like. And I think that is a great message to send us off on. But before we go, it would be, it would be really a shame if we didn't talk about a couple paranormal experiences before we left. I mean, I have you on the show after all, it's going to, we got to make this a little fun. So what you're, you're, you're a tour guide. And yes. gone tour. You were probably the most even keel guy I met. After the tour, it was really nice to talk talk to you guys. And you, know, you and Jim both were very, yeah. This is this is what happens down here. Oh yeah, yeah. So stuff has happened to you, of course. Oh yeah. What was the worst? The worst. What was the worst? Can you can you bring us to the spot? Can you give us the juicy, gory details of the worst thing or the most scary thing that happened to you down there? Well, the there there are two events that actually uh, kind of shook me uh, one more than the other, and uh, the the way that I found out about the ghosts in the underground is uh, when I was first hired at Underground Tours, I worked primarily in the gift shop, which is also in the underground. Uh, so we had a security guard there who I was uh, very good friends with. He was a really, really nice guy, and I, I used to talk to him all the time, and one day he told me, he said, Thad, brother. Every time I go in to a certain part of the tunnels to lock up at the end of the night, I feel like something's watching me. And so I told him, <laughs> next, time, next time you go down, you know, I'll, I'll go with you and we'll, we'll check this out. So uh, that, that time came. Uh, he's closing up and, the, you know, the tunnels are deserted. The lights are all off and his job is just to walk through, make sure no one is still down there. And then he locks up. I went down with him. And as soon as you step through the door, into the into the first area of the underground that we're talking about here, I could feel it. I, I it, it was not subtle. You could feel oh, something. Yeah, something watching you, but but something that is very malevolent, something that does not want you there. And uh, yeah, perhaps you experience it at, at a certain point down there. Uh, uh, that this area is known among uh, certain tour guides to be haunted in a particular way by a particular spirit, but. Uh, 
the further we went into the tunnels, the stronger it got until we got to the towards the end of this particular section. And as soon as we got to the end there, uh, I suddenly found that I could not breathe. And uh, can you still hear me, Nathan? Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, just, okay. I'm just yeah. in shock. Uh, I'm just like sitting here <laughs> waiting for the punchline. Yeah, I, I, I found I could not breathe and that that got more and more intense until I literally had to leave the tunnel. Uh, and it, it felt like a constriction of, of, of my lungs. And uh, I was really shocked by this. So I went down with him two more times uh, to verify. And the same thing happened every time that I went down there. And uh, that was certainly time. Every the, single time, the same thing. The next, the next two times it happened. After that, I started looking into this particular situation, uh, and I believe I know know pretty much exactly which ghost it is that causes this phenomena. I'm not the only person who has reported this phenomena. Actually, other tour guides have reported it. Uh, guests have reported it. I uh, even had a phone conversation with a guest in Cal who was in California at the time who had called me to reserve a tour and he and I just started chatting and he was, he was talking about, you know, when I was down in this one spot, you remember that one spot where the hole is in the wall? He says, I, suddenly I couldn't breathe. And he's like, it felt like something was constricting my chest. We've had guests leave the tour because of certain phenomena down in that tunnel as well that they're experiencing on the day tour, not on the paranormal tour on the daytime when we're down there, the lights are on us in the middle of the day. So, wow. And that, uh, that, the brain, because I remember talking to you guys too, and I was down on that tour about the time that I felt constricted, and oh, yeah. it, was, it was it was around that corner. Um, it was the prostitute corner where you were talking to the. That also freaks me out when That's you started calling her by name. The the is it is that the place? Is that really the place where the hole in the wall is? Where we do the where we do the EVP session? Yes, that is the place. That's the place where people oh. report that. That's where I. That's where oh, it happened oh, to me. Well, shit, that happened to me too, and I didn't know that it was in the same place. But I remember feeling that my body went into code red mode, just absolute something is touching me and I can't find it. Because I, I remember that it came so swiftly that it's weird because when you go on these tours, you know, you, you at first you're pretty scared, but afterwards you get pretty comfortable and, you know, you, your body's always looking for things. But I remember that specific moment when whatever the hell happened, I don't know, but my senses went into code red, freaking out. I have no idea what's going on. Find out what's going on. And it was harder to breathe. And it lasted for about 45 seconds. And that's just as quickly as it came, it went. And whoa, what a crazy experience that was. And it was in the same freaking area that you had it too. Yeah. No kidding. yeah. And, and, uh, uh, but, but as far as that particular ghost is concerned, I'm pretty sure that we're free of her. I don't think we're going to be seeing her again. Uh, which, right. which I'm glad about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, that, that situation I'm, I'm pretty sure is done. At least as far as that section of the underground is that, that ghost is actually associated with one of the, uh, uh, one of the buildings in Pioneer Square. That's kind of her primary haunt, but she had wandered into the tunnels from time to time. And at this point, I believe she's more or less just confined to the location that she haunts more generally. Gotcha. Which gotcha. is one of the bars in, in it's a bar and restaurant in uh, Pioneer Square. Yeah, it was, was that the Merchant's Cafe? It is. is pretty, oh boy, the Merchant's Cafe. I remember when <laughs> I took a couple of my friends down there because I was like, yeah, this paranormal tour was freaking <laughs> sweet. And they said this place was haunted. <laughs> and I will never forget 
it was me and a couple of my friends and um, one, of the, one of the girls was sitting at the bar and she didn't notice that you came in because you came down the stairs. It was in the basement. It was in and out of the ground. And you walked in behind her, just, you know, walking in, but not exactly making a ton of noise. And she turned around and screamed so loud <laughs> at the top of her lungs. So not only are there some ghosts down there, there's also, so, there's also a couple of bar goers that can make you jump and see at all. Apparently, apparently so. Uh, you know, and yeah, I got to admit that you know the underground bar merchants, it can be a little bit uh, creepy if you're if you're not used to. It's certainly very very cool. It is actually in the Seattle underground, but uh, you know it's kind of dimly lit down there and oldish and yeah. Yeah, one of the pictures flew off the wall. That was pretty surreal. Yes, it did. I don't know. If they, I don't remember if the Australian family <laughs> was was hitting the wall or anything, but. That thing came fall, flying off the wall so fast. We, that that was pretty spooky as well. Oh yeah, yeah. But okay. mm-hmm. what was Cafe what was the second one? Uh, second, what, what was the second one? Second one was during a paranormal tour, and uh, uh, you know, before I I came to work at Underground Tours, in a period of about twenty years, I saw three ghosts in my life, and in a period of working eighteen months at Underground Tours, I have seen three ghosts in 18 months. So you can kind of see the ratio there. Uh, so I was yeah. doing a paranormal tour, a uh, very, very small group that night, maybe half a dozen people, and they are out wandering the tunnels. I'm completely alone standing there in one of the tunnels, looking down through an archway when this shadow uh, that was shaped like a man, it's not cast on the ground, it's not cast on the wall, there is no way for it to be cast from above because all the lights are off, walked across the archway. And uh, <laughs> I I was so sh- shocked and, and honestly frightened by that, uh, that I went and found one of the guests on the tour and brought them back there with me. Uh, and, you know, just on the pretense of showing them a little bit around the tunnel so we could go in there and take a look and see what was back there. But there was nothing there. <laughs> Whoa. So you actually did see a shadow figure just casually walk across the archway. No problem. Yeah, I had I had seen that shadow figure once before on a day tour uh, while I was leading the tour group through that same section of tunnels. Uh, the, I was with a large group of people at that time. I, I will say that it was very shocking when I saw it, but it didn't frighten me. But down there alone in the tunnels, you know how it is. It's dark. It does get kind of creepy down there. And I, I have to say that, that 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 scared me a bit. Yeah, it's 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 something that we know nothing about. Absolutely nothing about. But once you get started, it seems like the curiosity, you can't just, you, the curiosity just takes over and you have to keep, keep getting it. Just keep getting a little, a little bit more, a little bit more. Uh, yeah, yeah. Definitely an area of fascination for me at this point. Uh, I actually, I just went to Edinburgh, Scotland, uh, where the Mackenzie Poltergeist is. Ah. We did a tour with the Mackenzie Poltergeist. And I remember after the tour, nothing happened. It was, it was a fantastic tour, but afterwards, the, the, the graveyard's open 24 hours, and you can just walk in, no problem. And I remember one of my friends that I met there, we was like, oh, yeah, I have to show you the, the Mackenzie Mausoleum, where this really famous poltergeist is. And I remember walking in there and feeling that you should not be here. You should not be here. <laughs> and I just turned around and walked straight back out. I was like, sorry, man, I wanted to show it to you, but tonight's not the night. <laughs> we walked straight back out. Yes, there are... Uh... Definitely two two specific spots in the underground where people report that that exact same sensation uh, quite regularly. So I, I understand that as well. I, I felt it myself, and I've had it reported to me many many times. Oof. 
Well, for anyone listening out there, and it's the curiosity is getting best of you, go check out the underground tours in Seattle, Washington, and Pioneer Square, and you might just get lucky enough to get Thad as your guide. Thad, this has been a lot of fun, and I'm glad that I was able to talk and nerd out a little bit about ghosts because it's <laughs> become more and more of a fascination of mine, especially as I travel around the world. And once again, guys, go check it out. This guy is really awesome. You might be able to get a beer with him and talk about all your experiences afterwards in another haunted place. <laughs> yes, in an even more haunted place. <laughs> in, an even, in an even more haunted place. And you can't get much better than that. What, what else are you doing on a, on a Saturday in Seattle? It's, it's, it's something, it might shake you, but it's worth it, believe me. So, Thad, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us. And I think something that I'll take away from this conversation is that you know, we don't really know a whole lot. And sometimes we got to question things, whether it's our path in life, if our job actually makes us happy, if ghosts exist, whatever it is. It, questioning things is, I think, a healthy thing. So, Thad, thank you again for coming on the show, and we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good, Nathan. Uh, enjoy your travels, and thanks for having me on. This was a great time. Thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of Oyster World, radio production of Oyster World, LLC. Thanks again to Thad Kreischer for coming on the show. Go to his tour. Ask for Thad when you go to the Haunted Underground Tours in Seattle. You might just see a ghost. Keep up to date on everything going on in the Big Gap here on Instagram at Nathan.Wanders. You can find all of the travel pictures there. Check out the links in the show description for more information. Special thanks to Charlie Milliken for all of the Oyster Jams. Check him out on Spotify or at charliemilliken.com. That's M-I-L-L-I-K-I-N. Don't forget to support the show on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N at patreon.com forward slash Oyster World Radio. Thanks again for tuning into Oyster World Radio. We'll be back in two weeks. But until then, this is Nathan Lieberman. Signing off. I can't take control of my life If I'm too busy looking at the stars And thinking about all time that's gone by It's time for a change In my day-to-day scene Time to turn around